Thank you for listening to Christian Challenge at K-State's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, follow us on Instagram or visit our website. Hope you enjoy this episode. Okay, I mentioned that tonight's a little different. Um, We call tonight Nations Night. And so once a semester in the fall semester, once a year, we take one Thursday night and we pause our preaching series to bring to the forefront God's heart for the nations, and also our opportunities for summer overseas missions trips. So why do we do this? There's a lot of reasons. One reason is we, as the staff at Christian Challenge, we believe deeply that the kingdom of God is a diverse, all nations kind of thing. And so most of our staff um, have spent time overseas in some capacity, Some of us longer term, some of us shorter term, but most of us have been overseas. In fact, one of the the visionary questions, like when our staff dreams and thinks and talks and evaluates like why and how we try to do ministry here at K-State, one of our questions is this question, who is going to build a hallway from the campus to the nations? And we've been talking about that for years. On staff here, we've seen lives changed through these trips, including my own. Just three weeks ago, I preached through 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and I shared about that moment after my senior year on one of these trips where the gospel just became so real for me. And so we've seen so many students have their lives changed. We've also seen a lot of our alumni, when they've gone on these short-term trips, they've experienced the calling of God for their life. And so we have so many students overseas. They were students, and now they're spending their life there. In fact, most of our summer opportunities, we send you all to alumni from Christian Challenge, which is really cool. And so they were just sitting in these seats, these same seats. Over the years, we have sent sent almost 150 teams, which is crazy. Crazy. And, and well over 600 students have gone on these summer trips. And even just last year, we sent five teams and almost 40 students. So there's a core value at Christian Challenge. So if you're new to our ministry, we want you to know this is something we really care about. And so we take one Thursday in the fall semester to talk about it. Okay, so with that intro being said, some of you are kind of leaning forward in your seat. Some of you are really excited that I'm talking about this. Some of you are are already praying about this, and you are thinking, man, what if I get to go? But my guess is the the majority of you kind of lean back a little bit in your heart and think, that's not for me, or I've already got plans, or you're thinking, if I don't have plans, I'm planning plans as we speak right now. (laughs) Right? So it's not something that maybe the majority of you are are like, I'm doing it. But here's what I want to do tonight. I just want to call all of us away from that posture and just say, let's gather around the Word of God tonight. Because this is a central theme in the Word of God. And just open your hands and your heart to the Lord and surrender your life to Him and say, Lord, whatever you want. So I just want to acknowledge that and, and just call you to that. Don't lean back. Don't check out. Don't think about what you're doing next. Like, lean in with me around the Word of God. Tonight is not a waste of time for any of us. This is on God's heart. So, 
The first thing I want to do is walk through this whole book in just a few minutes and show you how this idea of God's name among all nations is cover to cover in our Bible. So get ready, buckle up, we're going to go fast. The first spot is, uh, not the first spot, but one of the first is in Genesis 12, 3. And this is God making a promise to Abraham. Here's what he says. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And listen to Abraham, God says, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham was the, the father of the Israelite people, so the Old Testament's about his people. And God's saying at the very beginning of the formation of this people, it's about all nations. Okay, next book, Exodus 9, verse 16. This is unique. Now Moses is speaking to Pharaoh and for God. And so God is saying this to Pharaoh through Moses, verse 16, but for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power. And then hear this, even Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, serves this purpose. Why did God raise him up? So that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So right there, we see it. Keep moving in your Bible, 1 Kings 8. This is now a moment where Solomon is king of Israel. So Israel has been, they, they got out of slavery, they formed a nation, and now they have a king, and he built this elaborate, enormous temple. And he's praying at the dedication of the temple in 1 Kings 8, and here's what Solomon prays to God. You see the purpose of the temple here. He prays this, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. And so the purpose of God's people, the purpose of their freedom, the purpose of the temple, it's all wrapped around God's name among the nations. I listed up here some of the Psalms that deal with the nations that have this theme. It's not an exhaustive list. And I'm not going to read any from Psalms because we're going to camp out in one of the Psalms, but just look at that. Look at, look at how many deal with the nations. And then we move into the prophets. So we've got Isaiah, the first prophet that we see. And, and this, I mean, it's all throughout Isaiah. I'll read you one from, verse, uh, from chapter 45. This is now God speaking through Isaiah. God says, turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth, mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. That last phrase there might sound familiar. At fall conference we, we preached through Philippians 2 and Paul is quoting this verse at the end of Philippians 2 in that passage we looked at. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's like pulling back to Isaiah and saying, look, it's happening. It's happening. Isaiah was talking about it. The rest of the prophets, like almost all of them, have the theme of the nations. And then we get to the New Testament. And Jesus comes on the scene and he speaks about it, making it abundantly clear multiple places in each of the four gospels that this is on his heart. And so I'll read you one in Matthew 24. Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then 
the end will come. Right after the Gospels, we have the book of Acts, which is a narrative showing, I mean, the whole book of Acts is showing how um, the Gospel moved from this Jewish sect, like 120 people who believed in Jesus as Lord, and it erupted and exploded, and it spread throughout the whole world. And so all of Acts, it's breaking through these cultural barriers, these language barriers, and the gospel's moving in uh, to new territory. And so then the letters, Romans to the end, right, the, the letters of the New Testament deal with this as well. And it all leads to this climax at the end of the Bible, the end of the story, cover to cover, Revelation 15, I'll read that, says this, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And so there it was, from cover to cover, this theme of God's heart for the nations is woven throughout the story. From the beginning to Jesus And then Revelation telling us how it's going to end with all nations gathered around the throne of God. So where I want to camp out tonight is in Psalm 96. So pull your Bible out. Turn with me to Psalm 96. We're going to read some from it there. A little bit of background on Psalm 96. Um, It doesn't tell us who the author is in the Psalms. But we actually see David quoting Psalm 96 in 1 Chronicles 16, when they're bringing into Jerusalem the Ark of the Covenant. And so it's really cool. Either David wrote this psalm as like a way to to lead the people in worship for that moment, or he's aware of it and he's using it to lead the people to worship. So such a cool psalm. Let's read the first three verses. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. These first three verses are a call to worship, and I can so resonate with them. I was a worship leader for a long time, both here at Christian Challenge and also at my church at New Hope. And uh, man, just on my heart, I long to like call people to worship God. I actually, um, I don't know, 10 years ago here, I, I played a song that David Crowder wrote, and the song goes, I'm trying to make you sing. And he says it over and like, oh, so I'm trying to make you sing. I think it was a little awkward when I let it, because I'm up here and I'm just like singing it and I mean it. And everyone's like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, he seems kind of intense. But that's the heart of Psalm 96. He's saying, just sing to God. Would you worship God? He's calling all the earth to worship God. And I get it. And why? Why Why is he doing that? It's because we sing about what we love. We sing about what is most dear to our hearts. I mean, just think about it. At a football game, you will go and just without any thought, break into song at random moments with strangers you're sitting next to. You start doing a choreographed dance and it's on, on the screen on, on national television and everyone thinks it's so cool. We sing about what we love. We love K-State. I mean, the alma mater. It's not that good of a song, but we sing it. <laughs> right? 
We don't even know what it means. Like, where is the Dell? I don't know the spot. But it's just, we sing because we love K-State, right? We love it. I mean, think about country music, right? It's, it's about women. It's about alcohol. It's about fishing. It's about trucks. It's about America. We sing about what we love. It just comes out of us. And so what the psalmist is after right here, he says, if you love God, you will sing about God. If you love God, you will sing about God. What we learn from this is that that worship drives the heart of mission. Worship drives the heart of mission. You've got to love God with all that you are, and it'll lead you into mission. And you can see it there in verse 3. He's like calling them to sing because God's amazing, right? But then in verse three, he says, declare it among the nations, his marvelous works, his glory. And I think we, we do missions when we love something because all of us humans are just natural evangelists. Like when we have seen the light of something, we wanna tell people about it. We wanna just spread the gospel. And it comes out of us, natural evangelism. It's because when we love something, we want others to love it too. I love this quote from John Piper. He, um, it's a famous quote. He says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is the ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. So I want to pause and just ask you to consider your own life. How is your worship? And I don't mean how do you come here every Thursday or go to church every Sunday and like are you expressive enough? Or do you sing loud? Or on tune? Right? Some of you might struggle with that. It's a joyful noise, right? God loves the noise. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what do you cherish with your heart? What do you love more than anything else? What does your mind go back to again and again? What are you intentionally choosing to think about day in and day out? What are you directing your affection to and your praise to? If I were to have followed you around this week, Monday until today, and had no breaks, I was just with you the whole time. Everything that went on your screen I saw, everything that that you were thinking about, I was somehow creepily aware of. What would that say to me about what you delighted in? That's what you worship. And the psalmist is calling you to worship the Lord with all that you are. And out of that, missions is gonna flow. Okay, let's keep reading, verse four through six. And we get here, why? Why do we worship? Why do we do mission driven by worship? Verse four, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. And so now what we see is this direct comparison with the gods or the idols of the peoples. This is where our message and what I'm going to say um, becomes unpopular today. Because we are convinced 
believers in Christ, we are convinced that there is no life to be found apart from Christ. And that every other promise of life, every other religion, every other worldview, every other attempt to find purpose and meaning and joy and satisfaction is empty and worthless. And so Islam, Buddhism, atheism, these are all empty promises. They offer no hope, no life, and no peace. I went on four of these summer missions trips, three of them as a student after my freshman, sophomore, and junior year. Then after my senior year, I got married, and so I didn't go, and then my wife and I led a team after one year of marriage. So this is something that like, defined my college experience. And so I want to just tell you um, a couple stories of how I've seen how the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. Three of my summers I spent in East Asia, where um, the government there was communism, and there was just this, um, yeah, I've got a picture here of, this was the team I led with my wife. This was when I was trying to have hair. So imagine that. Um, And so we were in East Asia, and this, this government just tries to suppress all religion. And so atheism and humanism, these are what the the people there believe. And so many students there um, in this country were longing for something more. And they could see through the propaganda. And so this this guy I'm I'm standing with, his name is Ma Fei. What a cool name. It means flying horse. I mean, imagine your parents naming you flying horse. You would be awesome, wouldn't you? And, and Ma Fei, I remember sitting in my hotel room with him, and I, I, I handed my Bible to him, because uh, I, was, I was sharing the gospel with him. And his hands, as he held it, he was shaking, and he said, I have never held a Bible before. And it was just this moment where Ma Fei knew that, that what he had heard and what he had been told was empty. And his heart was longing for something more. I've got another picture. This was the summer I spent in Central Asia. And uh, summer after my junior year, um, I'm getting creamed in chess over here. So apparently I look deflated, that's for sure. And I loved this summer. It was very different, but what a great summer. This this guy in the middle here, his name is Ozgur. And he was actually, it was pretty amazing. He was like a drummer for a, a very famous band that like toured throughout Europe. And somehow he wanted to hang out with us. And that was actually, this picture, we took it in a recording studio. We were recording um, a worship song with him on the drums. It was so cool. And Ozgur, um, he had absolutely left um, Islam. So the country we were in, like 99% would just say they're Muslim, but very few live it. And Ozgur was one of those. He was an atheist Muslim, I guess is what you would say. And he handed me prayer beads, uh, Islam prayer beads, and he told me, he, he was making fun of, of it. He said, you just kind of flick your thumb and you say, blah, 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 and it means nothing. And part of that is because um, the religion there, Islam, isn't in his language. And so his whole life, he's been around hearing prayers that make no sense. It'd be like if you came to this meeting and I was speaking Latin and you had no idea what I was saying. I mean, just imagine your whole life being around a religion in a different language. He could tell that Psalm 96 was true. Ozgur knew that it was worthless. But consider Christ. 
Christ has the words of eternal life. John 6 says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Christ is the wellspring of living water. Just the next chapter in John 7, Jesus stands up and he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is the source of life. In John 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branch. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so when we do missions, when we declare the glory of God and the marvelous works of Jesus among the nations, we're telling these people where the true source of life and fulfillment and purpose and meaning is found and it's only in Christ. And so it's motivated by love, not arrogance. It's in Christ. All the nations need to hear this message and they are longing for it. Okay, I want to transition and just kind of turn this on you a little bit personally, on us, right? What does this mean? This theme through the whole Bible cover to cover, Psalm 96, what does it mean for my life, for your life? What does it mean for your summer? How do we make sense of this? So I actually want to come back into 1 Corinthians, where we've been all semester, to do this. And what we're going to see in 1 Corinthians 9 is, uh, if you want to turn there, you can. We're going to see in 1 Corinthians 9 a Psalm 96 kind of heart. One of the themes of Corinthians is this idea of my rights, what I have the right to, and especially 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And so that's one of the reasons we named the series we're preaching through Unentitled. Because Paul lays down his rights for the gospel. And when we lay down our rights, we find freedom and joy in the shadow of the cross. So, if you look in 1 Corinthians 9, um, this paragraph from verses 4 through 6, Paul's going to talk about the rights that he has. And so he, he talks about there that he has the right to be paid money for his ministry. That's in verse 6. He says, I've got the right to bring along a believing spouse. I've got the right to marriage. That's in verse five. And then in verse four, he says, I've got the right to what I eat and drink. And he's kind of setting it up. And I thought, man, when I was thinking about you all and things I've heard about people processing their summer and going overseas, these three rights felt so relevant. So let me walk through them. Paul says, I've got the right to make some money for my my, um, ministry. And I think... Students, oftentimes, they think about their summer and they think financial security. I need to make money. And let me tell you, there's some wisdom in that. I'm not trying to say that that's not true. But if we cling to the right to an internship or the right to, what is it, maybe $5,000, if we cling to that right and we turn our hearts away from God, that is not a Psalm 96 kind of heart. And so here we see it. Paul just says, I'm laying that down. I think that's that's a right to security that we often cling to. The second right there is this, I have a right to be married. I think you guys, what is on your mind is who am I gonna date? Is it gonna happen? Am I getting married someday? Come on, Lord, come through for me, right? Am I wrong? 
Okay, you guys are not telling the truth right now. Everybody is like, not me. I think you can think about your summer, and maybe if you are dating, you can think, I need to be close to my significant other. And if you're not dating, you think, I need to keep my options open. I need to be available. And I'm not down on dating. Christian Challenge is pro-marriage, right? (laughs) We believe that the Bible is pro-marriage. So I'm not trying to tell you, never date anybody, go be a missionary. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is when you cling to the right of where you're at this summer because of the chances or because of your significant other, man, and you, you don't open your hands to God and say, what do you want from me? That is not a Psalm 96 heart. And then this last one, which is really the first one in verse four, what do I eat and drink? This is the the clinging to the right of comfort. And I tell you, man, this is strong in us, isn't it? We are Midwestern folk. We have not traveled that much. And the world sounds a little scary. Like people are eating some weird things out there. And I mean, I have talked with a student a dear friend of mine who's like running away from Nations Night because she's like, I don't want to eat that food and I don't want to fly on that plane and I'm scared of those things. I know, I know um, one student who went last summer and it was a sacrifice for him to, not, to be able to, to think and control his diet and to be able to go to the gym and lift because it's just a different deal. And so you have to lay down your right to control and comfort We can easily be led by fear, fear of the unknown. We don't know what it's gonna be like, and so we cling to this right to comfort. I wanna do what I know. I'm gonna go live at home, and I'm gonna work, and I I know what I'm gonna do, and it's not scary. But that's not the Psalm 96 kind of heart. And so watch Paul show us what he does with these rights. In 1 Corinthians 9, 15, he says, I have made no use of any of these rights, he said, I've got the right to make money, to have a spouse, to choose what I eat. I don't, I don't make use of these. And then in verse 19, he says, though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. And then the famous part, the end of, of chapter 9, near the end, he says, I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might, may share with them in its blessings. This is the Psalm 96 heart. This is why we call the series Unentitled. Will we do whatever God calls us to for the sake of the gospel? I mean, we've talked about this in every message this semester so far. In chapter six of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price bought with a price. So I would say, your summer, it's not even your summer. It's God's summer. And if you're a follower of Christ, he bought your summer. Your very life is God's. And so each one of you is gonna make a decision. I mean, it's gonna happen. We're trying to get ahead of that decision. That's why we do it in September. We talk about the next summer. So we want you to think about this and at least be prayerful and thoughtful about it. But let me be abundantly clear. I'm not trying to control you or guilt you. I don't know what the right decision is for your summer. And there's not one right answer for everybody. But I will say this. There is one right question. And that is, what does God want for my summer? 
Okay, so I want to bring it all together and just kind of review. Here are the things I've said. Number one, God is telling a great story in this book, and it culminates with him being worshipped by all the nations. Number two, we are called as God's people to worship him with all that we are and then to declare his glory and marvelous works among the nations. Number three, we looked at this fact that there is no source of life apart from Christ and every other religion is empty and worthless. And then number four, from 1 Corinthians 9, we have no rights, we are not our own. Our lives are God's to be lived and spent for his glory. And so does that mean that all of you are supposed to spend seven weeks overseas this summer? I'm not sure. But I do believe that almost all of you should pray and open your hands and ask God, what does he want to do with this summer? You've got three, maybe four summers in college. Will you give one of those for being a part of what God's doing, this big story through the whole Bible among the nations? Will you have a Psalm 96 mindset? That's my question. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word and just the chance to open it tonight. Um, Thank you, Lord, that you know exactly what you want to do in the lives of each person here and that this is on your heart, but you are, are such a God of clarity. And so we ask, Lord, as we open our hands to you, that you would speak clearly and guide and direct us. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen.